Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, we proudly bring to you at a Studio 212 in the heart of Seattle, Washington, this is Physical Culture Radio. I'm your super dope host with the most, Greg Jones, at Coach Greg Jones, Instagram and Facebook, along with my super dope host, Chris Edmonds, at C Edmonds Instagram, lead mountain dog diet trainer. Chris, how we doing? Doing great, man. It's 4th of July. Already got two meals in. Train, it is 4th of July. Train back. It's a great day. <laughs> nice, nice. And it's still not even 8 a.m. here in Seattle, Washington. So you got a lot done today already, and I still got to get my workout in. Exactly right. I, I did back. I know you said you're doing back, so. Yep. Differing ends yep. of the spectrum. Your strong point, my weak point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, when I train back, and anybody trains back with me, I haven't even even Mark Dugdale. I, I I've yet to see too many people that can hang with me in my back workout and the weights that I use. Just because my there's something about how my tie-ins with my rhomboids and my lats and everything. I can, I'm just genetically made to to train the damn body part and my body part. And it's re, it's really funny because. When I go to different gyms, if, if I happen to be wearing a tank top, I get compliments on my back from from pros and top trainers. Like I was down at World Gym in San Diego, and uh, guys will just come up to me and go, "Fuck, your back is crazy," and you you're, you're they'll just make some comment or um, so. It, it's something that I'm proud of. It's something you know. It's funny when I was in college, um, I I didn't used to have a shoulder day. And I used to always do back and biceps every Tuesday and Friday. So it's something that, that since, you know, my late teens and, uh, and I'd always train like ch a chest day, I do chest and triceps, but I would never have a shoulder day. Um, which is why I think, you know, I'm, genetically I'm not inclined shoulders are like my weaker body part. But I, I think my back is so developed because I've always had a back and by day and I've always usually trained it like twice a week for so decades. When did you train shoulders or you didn't? I didn't. I did not train shoulders. Oh, I was wow. a big, you know, the, my, my thing is when I was playing college football, there was a big precedent on how much you could bench, how big your bench, you know, how much do you bench, bro? <laughs> <laughs> right. that, when, when you're, when you're freaking 19, and you're playing college ball, uh, you want to squat, uh, you want to bench, you want your arms to look good. I used to train back because I knew my back was important. Biceps weren't big because it was like, tries are for guys, curls are for girls. You know, the biceps don't do a lot for you on the football field. Um, so so the big thing for me was, you know, chest, chest, back, and, and, and legs and training squats and whatnot. So, that's, that's, wild um, that didn't, that's, that's wild that y'all didn't do any like push press, clean and jerk, any of that kind of stuff, clean the shoulder, clean the shoulder press. No, or snatch. We, did, we did cleans. We did lots of cleans, but when I first started lifting, I was just doing power cleans. I wasn't doing push presses or, or jerks until oh, right. later when I started, when I turned 24 is when I was, was when I took up Olympic lifting and then I started implementing the jerks and 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 that kind of thing but if you look at most olympic lifters they don't have real prominent arms either even though they lift tons of weight over their head um you know their arms aren't developed like a bodybuilder's you know what's wild is my shoulders didn't take but look off. at their backs look at their backs they rival bodybuilders right yeah yeah what what's wild uh to me like my, my shoulders didn't take off on a solo shoulder day like I used to train shoulders yeah. by themselves all the time. Um, I was on the classic bodybuilding split. I do chest and calves, then I train back, then I train legs, then I would do shoulders, traps, and then I would do arms. And now I, I ran that for years all through college. And um, yeah, it wasn't an, even out of college too. That was my same split. Um, and then I met linked up with John in my early twenties and. Like he put me on that chest shoulders together and I'm like, ah, like, I'll be honest with you. Like at the beginning I was, I wasn't a true believer in it, but I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Like I'm literally paying him to do my training. Like let's just follow it and see it through. And he's like way bigger than me. So I'll trust him. Yeah. And you know, on, on top of that, you, as you guys know, who do mountain dog training, it's not a lot of shoulder pressing. And 
I would do two, if not three, pressing shoulder movements on my shoulder day on top of rear laterals, bent, bent over uh, rear laterals, um, reverse pec deck, side lateral cable, side lateral, like upright rows. I would do shitloads of volume for shoulders. So not only did he reduce my volume to three exercises and typically three sets per exercise, so nine total working sets in a week, but pretty much all shoulder pressing was out the window. It was high rep shoulders. It was reverse pec deck. It was side laterals. It was partials, hanging swings and pull apart, spider crawls, that kind of stuff. And my shoulders just grew right. and grew and grew off of that. Um, yeah. And I think that like, in my opinion, I know a lot of people might argue this with me, but when I watched my incline barbell press go up, I watched my shoulders grow at the same rate. So that's something cool yeah. for you guys to look at and track. I know that as bodybuilders, we don't necessarily need to track strength, but I can tell you there was definitely a correlation between incline barbell pressing going up and my shoulders growing. So that's one of those things like on paper that makes zero sense, right? Um, to pair a weak body part with one that was like mediocre for me and then it grew and doing it second. So some, some kind of cool information for you to, that shows that, you know, on paper, things may not work out, but in real life, in the trenches, have proven that that is a factual thing that works. So it's interesting because now uh, kind of what I do with my push days uh, and shoulders and chest is, is I, I make one a shoulder heavy one. So uh, Mondays and Thursdays are typically my push days. So on Mondays, um, I typically do chest and, and I'll do, I'll start with rear delts. I'll do rear delt swings, incline, and then I'll go into uh, dumbbell stuff. This is after my shoulder mobility stuff. I'll go into uh, shoulder dumbbells and I'll sometimes do flat dumbbells. And then I'll go hit ch machine press and chest and then I'll start doing uh, spider crawls in like a giant set with uh, chest flies and stretch pushups or, or something like that. And then I'll, you know, and then I'll hit like side laterals, but then on my other day on my shoulder day, um, I will start with an isolation move to warm up my shoulders. Like I'll start with laterals, uh, or I'll start with rear delts again, swings, and then I'll go into incline barbell. Uh, and then I'll go into like a neutral shoulder press and then kind of smash my shoulders and, you know, I'll do like front raises and, and then laterals if I didn't do laterals, uh, to begin before. Uh, but, but I like making one day where I do dumbbell work for chest and like hammer strength stuff. And then my shoulder day now I'll start with, you know, my first heavier movement will be incline barbell and, and, and then go into the shoulder pressing stuff and like a neutral grip. I have played around a little bit with dumbbell shoulder presses. Sometimes those have been agreeing with my shoulders. Sometimes it causes a little bit of post-workout pain the next day. So I'm kind of iffy on if I do that or not. And I know you've always mentioned to me, and I think one of the things that as bodybuilders, we need to listen to our bodies um, first and foremost. So if you do an exercise that, causes pain or, you know, you get rotator cuff pain, you get, you know, uh, that pec delt tie-in pain, like it hurts, like something's going to tear, like you get a lot of times people get when they do flat barbell benches and it's just mechanically not right for certain people. Stay away from those exercises. Don't, don't get married to any one exercise. I know Chris is big on this too. Most good coaches are big on this. Don't get, don't marry yourself to any one movement because it's a popular movement or it's in all the bodybuilding.com workouts or you feel like you have to do it, right? Yeah, hell yeah. I mean, speaking about shoulders in particular, um, barbell incline, or sorry, military press or standing shoulder press with a bar feels awful to me. Yeah. Awful. Like, I just don't, I'm, I'm the first of all, I'm not yeah. strong at it. Um, like my neck, like the, the my literal spine, like my neck, like fucking hurts when I do it. It just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel natural. It never has. Um, yeah. And w without a doubt, like, I love shoulder dumbbell pressing and I love hammer strength shoulder pressing and I like Smith machine shoulder pressing. So like those yeah. are three great options in my opinion for me biomechanically. Um, but for you, if, if, if dumbbell shoulder press feel awful, like why would you do that? Like, 
I know a lot right. of times people struggle with shoulder pressing dumbbells because it's hard to get into place. Um, and it's kind of an art to get those things kicked up. I mean, especially when you're working in the, you know, 100 to 120 pound dumbbells, getting them <clears> up <throat> into that shoulder pressing is not easy and you waste a lot of energy doing it. But if you can get kind of master that technique, like for me personally, there's nothing I think more that packs one's shoulder mass as far as a pressing movement is that. And actually, believe it or not, I actually really enjoy behind the neck Smith machine pressing, which is like a physical therapist's huge no-no. But I, that's not something I try to go heavy on. Like, I might do 185 um, at the max weight for, like, 8 to 12. But that's something some, some, something for people just to consider. Like, if something doesn't feel right, either fix your form or just scrap it all together. There's too many good exercises to do elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. So, speaking of fixing form and exercise selection and programming, the topic of today's episode are the responsibilities of being a coach and this can be whether you're coaching an athlete for a sport or you're coaching you know a bodybuilding client bikini figure it doesn't matter what you're coaching there's certain responsibilities that you have to follow certain things that you need to hit and certain ethics that i feel you need to display um and in, in, when you're coaching somebody, whether it's a, a kid, uh, an adult, a competitor, and I myself and Coach Chris both uh, coached a, a huge uh, demographic spread of people. Um, I have kids that I train. Uh, I have BJJ professionals, MMA professionals, you know, top NC2A football players. Uh, and then just regular Joes and, and, and also people that do shows. Um, so everybody's a little bit different. There are certain ways and techniques that you coach certain people. Um, I feel like if you use a one size fits all when it comes to coaching, like say you're a hard ass and say you want to be a sergeant, not everybody's going to respond to that. Not everybody's going to respond to a hard coaching style, a very disciplined Oriented co coaching style, and and I'll use the analogy of football coaches. Um, it used to be back in the day that football coaches took a very hard line approach, um, and they were very stern. They weren't players' coaches. They didn't get along with the players. It was their way or the highway, and everything was just like military type oriented. Um, you're going to do this. You're going to do it my way or the highway. And uh, that, that's just, that's just all there is to it. Um, I, I, that became antiquated and in professional sports, uh, players especially started kind of rebelling against those kind of coaches. I I've always liked that style. So personally, I don't mind that style. I, uh, but, but from a standpoint of how you need to coach everybody differently, I feel like maybe that that style is, isn't the best. What do you think about styles of coaching? For sure. Um, so to me, if we're using that football analogy, I think like Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells, both those guys, it's what you said. It's you're going to do it my way or you're going to get the fuck out. <laughs> um, yeah. More of a player style coach is someone like Pete Carroll of your Seahawks. Um, guys love playing for him. Uh, he's a little bit more loose. They, uh, you know – operate more you know if they're in practice they're gonna have rap music on for example where if you walk in the right. patriots you aren't you are not gonna have that you're gonna be on a game plan you're gonna be on a schedule so to me like how i coach people is based on their personality <laughs> so not everyone is meant to be very militant some people love it and thrive off of it others fold and crumble and and to me like you have to especially in the world of one-on-one -on -one training or one-on-one -on -one coaching you have to know what inspires people what gets them moving what gets them motivated because if you continually beat someone to the ground who is not going to respond to that they're going to fail and at the end of the day our number one job is results so you have to what i always tell people you got to know your market and for this world, it could change hour to hour. It can change update to update. There's some guys where I'm just like, listen, it's it's black and white. It's this way or the highway. Like, 
this is what I need you to do. Fucking do it and man up. Other people, I have to be a little bit more gentler and a little softer around the edges. Again, I typically don't yeah. work best with those individuals, but I've had success with them because I had to. And, you know, I don't like turning people down, especially if you really, really want to work with me. But for I, I would say definitely as I've matured through this coaching process, like I'm beginning to, I say I'm beginning, I'm really attracting people with a similar mindset to me because of the yeah. content I put out, I think, you know, people know very quickly, if you come with me, it's all business, it's all consistency, it's hard work, you're going to send your updates, you know, so at this point where I'm established in my career, I'm getting that client probably 80% out of 100. Um, on, when I started doing this, it was, I will literally take anyone. So I had to adapt really, really quickly and realize that like, hey, even though I may personally like hard coaching, not everyone does. And especially in today's time of, you know, everywhere everyone's a snowflake and individual and has feelings, like <laughs> you can't coach them as hard as I may want to. <laughs> do you find that yeah. same thing? So, yeah, I do. And, and along that point, let me then ask you a question because you just posted something on your IG and Facebook page um, that just got me thinking about your statement with that. And that you train your son, Ty. Yes. And Ty is what, 12 years old or 14? Uh, he just turned 14. Just turned 14. He just uh, turned 14. Yep, two weeks ago. And I was noticing that you had this very regimented, he's going to eat six meals a day. He eats two meals and then he goes to school and he trains at 6 a.m. And he does this and he does that. And I've been right, you know, because he's a wrestler, he's a competitor, he's an athlete. And wrestling is a very demanding usually kind of a hard-ass coach sport. Yes, it is. And if you can get through wrestling practices, you can probably get through any kind of practice, yep. including workouts. Agreed. Um, typically. And um, so so what is your style when you coach somebody that you know, that you love, that's your family? Is that going to be different? Are you going to loosen up on him? Or are you going to tell him, I'm your dad most of the time, but if you ask me to coach you, this is how I'm going to coach you and you're going to listen or what, how do you approach that? Of course. Yeah. I would love to talk about that. Um, cause that's a cool topic. So when we're yeah. at home watching TV, uh, playing video games out in the backyard, throwing a football, I'm his dad. When we're in the gym, right. when we're in the kitchen, making food, when we're mixing our supplements up, when we're riding to the gym together, it's all business. And yeah. it's a clear delineation. You know, it's, it's that same thing of, I'm a big believer when I coached uh, his football team, you know, we can joke around and play, but the moment practice starts and we cross that white line of the football field, it's all business. You know, we can joke at yeah. water breaks, but when it's time to practice or play, it's all business because if we do our business on the field, after the game, we can celebrate on the sidelines with a victory. And I use that, I view that very, very similarly with how I coach him in the gym. He understands what I expect when we lift weights. And all I expect is his maximal effort for that given day. And I'm not asking him to lift or do things that he's uncomfortable with in terms of like, I would never put 315 on his back and say, go, you pussy. Like, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but no, I'm no. going to, I'm going to give him things that challenge him, that push him, that, really make him be a better athlete. Um, and when we're in the gym, we're serious. And then when we're after when we're riding home and it's over, we can kind of like recap the day and joke and, you know, listen to whatever kind of music he wants to on his iPhone and have, have a good time. But when it's, when it's time to do work, whether it's conditioning or weight training or practicing wrestling, like we're really fortunate in one of our guest rooms in our basement, like we bought him a, a like a real life wrestling mat for him to like practice moves and stuff on, um, for in the house. So, you know, when he's doing that, it's serious when he's doing conditioning in our neighborhood with the prowler or him running or doing TRX stuff or band work like that's serious in the gym. We're serious. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, there's a definite difference in like, let's say we go on vacation for a beach trip and we go to the water park. Like, I'm not going to say, Oh my God, don't, you can't do this or you can't do that. Like it's solely dad there. So I feel like he has the privilege of, you know, I, I wished that my parents would have had the knowledge that I did to pass one to me. Um, and he's a kid who soaks it up like a sponge. Like he he would sit on the toilet as a 
five, six, seven-year-old and flip through my muscular development magazines. You know, he's watched Generation Iron with me multiple times. He's seen Pumping Iron. He's watched Ronnie yeah. Coleman Unbelievable. Like, he knows what hard training's about. Like, he's watched John Meadows' workouts. He's watched Dave Tate workouts. Like, so his exposure to my world is very, very high. So he kind of understood, even from a young age, like, what it's like to train. So, like, this morning when we went to go work out, he did his leg workout. I did my back workout. And he kept his hood on and he had his, his Beats headphones and he, um, you know, he went to work. He had a plan and he followed it today. Today for him was a leg day. And if you guys are just curious what I might have a 14-year-old do, um, he started with leg curls uh, just to kind of warm up his knees and hamstrings because uh, his hamstrings and adductors are really weak. So we start with those two machines of um, adductor and uh, hamstring line leg curls. And then from there, it's all free weights. So he did uh, squats, front squats, trap bar deadlifts, dumbbell walking lunges, um, standing and seated calf raises, and then he finished with abs. So again, all that's on a plan, nice. all that's in a journal. And, you know, again, it was all business. We were we were literally lifting at 7.30 this morning. And, you know, if you think most 14-year-olds on a, on a break for summer aren't going to do that. So I always try to tell him that, like, that's the moment he gains ground on his competitors, the kids he's going to compete against on his team and the kids he's going to wrestle this year in this coming freshman season of high school. So um, that's how I differentiate it. Um, with, with a client, um, you know, they don't see the, say, dad or friend side of me unless we're friends outside of the gym. And that's very, very rare. Um, so it's all coaching. So, you know, for him, like, it's like with eating, it's really helpful because I make all his meals. And I think like that's what has made it easier for him is all his meals prepared where, you know, a lot of our clients, if they had someone who made all their meals, they might be a little bit more successful. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's he's at a really cool age where you really start getting into lifting. You, you start, you know, the, the hormones that start to go running through your body as a teenage boy when you're 14, 15, 16 are like nothing else. Yes. I, agree. Um, I, I made my biggest gains ever from 14 to 15 years old. And just on some straight puberty, and I don't even think my diet was that good at the time, but <laughs> right. I put on 40 pounds in a year. I went from 140 to 180. My bench press went up 100 pounds. My squat went up probably 200 pounds. I went from squatting 200 to like 400. Um, it, it was just crazy how strong I got. And I think part of it's my gen. I've always been a stocky kid. I, I was never like the skinny kid that then, you know, blossomed and, and got big when he was 19. I was stocky all the way through and one of the bigger kids on the field ever since I was a little kid. So I, I had a, just a big year where I exploded when puberty hit and those hormones are running through my body. And I think, you know, if you can get a kid kind of dialed in, in his early teens, especially also, and I feel like with coaching, you know, to keep kids off of playing video games all day or off of, you know, when they start experimenting with, with maybe tobacco or <laughs> alcohol or drugs or some of their peers are doing or girls. Stuff. You can get, get, yeah. 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 Or, or, or girls. Yeah. yeah. So if you can keep them focused and dialed in on being a better athlete, you know, eating better, working out and, and create that habit early. I, I feel like it keeps them away from a, a lot of bullshit that they may be exposed to. Or if, when they do see that bullshit, you know, they're like, no, nah, you know, man, I got to train or I got this practice after school because I'm doing this sport at, you know, this, this, this time of year. And um, it keeps them better focused. I, I, I feel like we need to keep our kids busy um, rather than idle, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, you know, from a personal standpoint and coaching, somebody that you're close to, uh, I feel like that's an important aspect to give them a lot of different, expose them to a lot of different positive influences like you working out, even if you're not a competitive person. Like I, I feel like every parent should role model in that manner, even if it's not a coaching client or a coaching, you know, a kid um, relationship, I, I feel like some positive modeling should be done just just from straight working out or taking it, taking a kid to the gym. You know, and this is this ties into our episode so well, right, man? Um, 
I, I say this all the time. I lead from the front and I lead by example. If I was a fat piece of shit who didn't train and I'm asking people to go train their balls off and eat no carbs and do shitloads of cardio, how poor of an example is that? I'm, I would feel so hypocritical doing that. And I, I pride myself in the fact of saying if I give someone something that's like super hard and aggressive, I've done that minimally or times seven worse. Um, and that's why I feel comfortable saying, listen, if we got to go no cars for three weeks to get in shape, I don't care. I've done it for 12 with fat cycling. I've done two hours of cardio on a fucking Stairmaster seven days a week for eight weeks. Like I've never had to ask someone to go that hard. And I've done that by example. And for me, when he comes in the gym and he sees me train, he realizes my headphones go on. I don't bullshit. I lift maximal weight for as many reps as I possibly can. And I'm dripping sweat off my nose. So when he looks over and he sees that, he's like, man, if this old man at 35, almost, almost 35 can do it, there's no reason at 14 why I can't do this. So I always, and you know, he sees me eating my diet food every single day, which it's really kind of cool since he's home for summer. His meal times are very similar to mine. So a lot of times I'll just make our meals together and he and we literally sit on the couch and eat together or at my desk. So, you know, he sees that and that's part of his life and it's been a part of his life since he can remember. And for kids, man, like that's so huge because if they have a goal, like if they know, he knows he's going to go to the gym with me and train on Saturday morning. Why is he going to go get drunk with his buddies on Friday night? Because he knows come morning time, I'm going to wake his ass up and we're going to go train. I don't care what he did the night before. And yeah. that's just part of life. Like if I give him a goal big enough and right now his singular goal is he wants to wrestle in college. That, in my opinion, should keep him away from doing all the things that are going to distract him from those goals. So like that's, I think for a lot of kids and especially a lot of adults, they're, they don't have a strong enough goal that keeps them in line. Um, you know, for us, it's bodybuilding and getting on stage in our underwear in front of a thousand people. You don't want to not be in shape for that. <laughs> no, absolutely um, not. But if I have a, and that's why I always, if I have a client come to me and they have some just arbitrary goal, I just want to, I don't want to be less fat. Well, damn it, set a better goal. Like, how less fat? Give me a hard number so we can start working at it and chipping away. Um, and I think that's the number one thing is that's that's step one for anyone that comes to us. You have to have a hard-defined goal, both short-term and long-term. And from there, we can divine, devise a program that is fit for that individual. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think when you talk about programming for an individual, you know, athletic sport specificity and or bodybuilding specificity, you know, we're, we're going to train people different in, in different modalities, depending on the sport or depending on if they are doing an aesthetic sport like bodybuilding, you know, for women, uh, bikini figure or physique that is going to completely change how we train them. And, uh, you know, it's from, from start to finish the movements, the, the modalities, the explosiveness, how you train somebody is all going to be specific to that sport or specific to what they're competing in. And I think it's really cool because, you know, you, you can take somebody and mold them as an athlete or take somebody and mold them as a physique person and then really watch them shine and in, in where, whether it's on the court, the, the, the field, you know, the, uh, um, or, you know, on stage and you can, you can, you can watch and see the pleasure in that person and excelling at whatever they do and know that you had a part in, in helping them with their training and with their diet and that you probably train them better than the competitor that they just beat. Yeah. So that, that's, that's where, go ahead. So, I mean, that's why I think you and I both do very, very detailed questionnaires when someone starts new with us. Like I want to know everything about your health history, about your food likes and dislikes, the timing of your day, because I want to build a program that you can actually follow. I could make an incredible program that fits my day perfectly, but if your day doesn't reflect mine, then it's never going to work. Like if you're in a business meeting every morning at 1030 with the CEO of your company, you can't whip out chicken, rice, and broccoli and have it while you're in a meeting with him. 
where I can do that all day long. So you're going to need a shake yeah. that you can put in a share cup or even put in a regular cup and just drink it while you meet with him. And if that's blended, um, pre-blended with oats and peanut butter so you can hit your macros of getting your carbs, fat, and protein powder in, then that's what we're going to have to do. Because if you don't get a lunch break till 1, then we're going to do that about 10.30 or 11. And then you'll go to lunch and have your meal that you can heat up in the refrigerator from the refrigerator. Like... That's what's so important is people think these like cookie cutter routines of, hey, this meal plan worked for 10 people and me. It's going to work for everyone. Well, that's wrong. You have to custom tailor a plan for that person and then pair that with what their specific goal is. So if you're a bodybuilder, your plans will look very different than if you're a football player or if you're a women's basketball player. That's going to look very different than if you're a men's soccer player or if you're a 40 year old who just wants to get off the couch all five, 10 of those plans that I just labeled as far as strength training and as far as um, uh, a programming and nutrition standpoint are going to look very, very different. Yeah. And my kind of specialty these days, I feel like I'm gravitating towards training an older population rather than a younger population. Although I, I, I like to train athletes and driven athletes and younger people and, and do the programming for them. But I feel like you can be a lot more loose and uh, because they recover so much better. When you take a, a 30, a 40, a 50, and I've even got a, I've got a 65-year-old client that's training for nationals, and I've got a 95-year-old lady that I'm training. Um, of course, that's a completely different, you know, subject altogether. But when you get older people, you have to really worry about recovery. You have to really worry about volume of training to not overtrain them, especially if they're working hard. Because what I find is older people, they, they work hard. Like they have almost a better work ethic in a way than, than younger people. Do you kind of find that? I think it's person to person, sadly. Yeah, yeah. it's person. It can be person to person, but... Um, when I tell an older client uh, what they need to do, how they need to do it, I usually don't get a lot of pushback. It seems like with the younger people, you get pushback or they just don't want to do certain things or, or work as hard. So everybody needs to be guided. Um, everybody needs accountability. <clears throat> and, and some people are self-starters. You can give them a workout plan and they just do it. Some people you need to constantly check on them. So we have systems in the gym where if somebody doesn't come in the gym that you have to, you know, they'll get an email or you'll call them and you'll talk to them, say, Hey, haven't seen you in a while. Haven't seen you training, you know, what's going on. And you have to kind of push certain people to even come in and train where certain people you don't have to tell that they're just going to be there and be like what's on the program today what am i doing right and all clients are going to be a little bit different some people you have to constantly nudge some people will just do it and you need to you need to know that balance and you need to know what kind of person you have uh to be able to provide the correct amount of motivation for them or how you need to push them because everybody's different. Um, and as far as everybody's metabolism's different, and we'll get into that in a, in a second, and finding out where somebody's recovery abilities are, finding out how fast or slow somebody's metabolism is, uh, is as varied as the motivation that certain individuals need, you know, person to person. So what do you see as far as um, metabolism and diet? And um, do you find that people, if you have 10 clients, you're going to have 10 different metabolisms, or do you find that more people have faster metabolisms or more people have slower? Or what do you feel as far as the coaching component and dieting uh, across the board that you get as far as uh, how, how fast people's bodies respond to your diet plans. So it, it, I would love to say I can even see a correlation for people. Um, I can tell you this, and I've always believed this, that the greatest glucose, glucose disposal aid is hard balls of the wall training. <laughs> and what I mean by that is the harder you train, the more you can eat. And, you know, for 
I'd say probably f- f- present to five years ago, glucose disposal aids have been like really, really popular and everyone was talking about like, when should I take them and how much? And my thought process is, you know, if I have a super hard leg day, my hunger is through the roof for the next 24 to 48 hours. This is the same thing with any body part. Arms, not so much for me personally. Um, I can go at arms hard and it's just not as physically taxing for me at least. I mean, it burns and hurts, but nothing like back, legs, chest, shoulders. And I can tell you this too, the harder I push someone in a diet and make them really suffer, the more food we can eat coming out of it. So what I mean by that is like, I'll give you a great example. One of the guys I posted a side tricep on my Instagram story today of Zach, I had to push him super, super hard. Like at four weeks out, and I'm, I'm literally looking at this plan sitting in front of me. His off days from training were 268 grams of protein, zero carbs, and 36 grams of fat. On a training day, his uh, protein was at 289. His carbs were all the way down to 49.5, and his fat was at 31.5. So the totals for that in terms of calories is he was eating 1,637.5 calories on a training day. He did that for four weeks couple with seven days a week of moderate intensity cardio and then three times he'd do hit post cardio and now those would be his base days and then we would do random refeeds as his body presented it which was roughly every three to five days some days we'd have to go back to back but like right now he's in a peak week um so we're gonna do a pretty cool carb up where we started carving him up on wednesday and his carbs got raised to 313 and his fat got raised to 56 grams of uh, fat, he only gained a half a pound the entire day. So that shows you how fast (laughs) his metabolism is. So Thursday, um, today, I had to raise that to, we increased his carbs to 439 and 61 grams of fat. And guess what? So far today, he's had three meals and he's only up a quarter pound. So (laughs) the reason I broke that down for you guys is, I was pushing him super hard, which made him super insulin sensitive. And he's doing uh, the gauntlet, which is one of the hardest training programs John ever wrote that's coupled with that hard dieting. And we're smashing food. And if you look at that picture I post, listen, he's in shape and he's hammering carbohydrates. So the harder you work, the harder you push stuff on a diet, the the deeper we can go in raising calories. But for, you know, a great example is, is me and you. And I talk about this all the time. I can take a lot more carbs and a lot less fat and be productive. You need more fat and not quite as much carbs. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't think either you or I train any harder than the other. I'm do more volume. You probably use more weight on certain exercises. Um, but as far as the intensity, um, I don't think that's different. Um, so, just if you look at that, and, and I've always been that way, and I always wonder with me personally, I was raised that way as a, as a kid. I was a lean protein eater and a carb eater. So I ate tons of carbs and tons of lean protein. That's just what my mom fixed. That's what I ate. That's how I did it. Um, and I'm always curious to know if like people's genetics have a factor in that, not just the genetics as far as like who your parents are, but the genetics of what kind of foods you were exposed to as a child. Um, that would be a cool subject I'd love to dig into, you know, with some kind of scientific study. Um, but, you know, as a whole, I, man, I've had old guys, I've had young guys eat all over the spectrum as far as carbs and fat. Um, I, I think the biggest takeaway for me, if we're speaking about coaching, is you have to find out what the person best responds to, meaning how they look, how they how their training's going, how they feel, and then learn from that. And, and the reason I suggest not coach hopping is if you do 12 weeks with me, you do 12 weeks with you, you do 12 weeks with Chris Acido, you do 12 weeks with Dave Palumbo, nobody gets a chance to learn your body, right. um, which is crazy to me. Like if you aren't going to do self-exploration, meaning tracking that stuff on your own to be able to speak intelligently to the coach that you hire, um, it's going to be really, really hard to make progress, in my opinion, in the long term. Um, you know, it took me years to come to the, come to terms with the fact that I don't need more than 60 grams of fat in a day. I just don't, I really need more like 50, 40, maybe even 30. And I need a fuck ton of carbohydrates, but most people don't know that because they're afraid to experiment and they're afraid to like take notes and keep track of progress and take photos and really track how their weight climbs. So to answer your question, as far as metabolism goes, it's all over the spectrum. It doesn't matter your age, gender, 
how you're raised, like that's just not been. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that it took us a couple shows to figure out my metabolism. And I think now going into my next prep, um, we have a better sense of when I'm going to be coming in, how far to go as far as getting down in shape or deeper can we go? Where where do I remain full at? Where do I start getting stringy and losing too much muscle? How fast that ramp period needs to be in into getting getting into shape is the first couple shows you're just figuring somebody's body out. And um, so I feel I feel like as you go along as a coach and a client um, that, that you should be able to figure that out. If you don't figure that out after two or three seasons and, you know, three to four preps, then, then, then maybe you can look for another coach because, you know, you don't have the confidence in your coach, uh, after that long of a time period. But if you just keep jumping from coach to coach, you're you're not going to know that. Um, in speaking about the the friend client balance um, or training somebody that you know that's family or something, you know along those lines, there 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 there's a fine line with coaching and being able to coach somebody and being effective and then being their friend. Uh, there there needs to be a delineation between the two. So if you're somebody's friend, and and invariably when when you take people through these preps and take people through seasons of training and shows, you become their friend. Uh, there's a relationship that's built uh, above and beyond, you know, there's just the, the coach and the client, uh, the trainer and the trainee, where you become, you know, invested in the person, you know, you know about the person's family or, you know, what they do and all this stuff. And you talk about that kind of stuff. But when it comes to the coaching aspect, if that line gets crossed, then and it goes too far, then maybe sometimes you can't coach a person anymore, and it's and you're better off being a friend. Uh, maybe that maybe that coaching client relationship turns into more of a friendship, and then that person would be better served by having another coach. So sometimes that happens uh, in in the coach client relationship, and I found that in in my gym. I found that working with people, um, but there needs to be that relationship as a coach and, and, and a client that what the coach says goes and, you know, the friendship aside, you're, 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 you're getting coached and you're getting mentored and you have to listen to the training and the nutrition and um, the, the friendship kind of takes a backseat to the coaching if, if, if that's what you're hired to do yeah to me it's pretty simple it's the client or the trainee has to respect the coach at all costs so if i say yeah. stop eating sweet potatoes or if i say increase cardio about five minutes or if i say hey you need to do a second <laughs> leg day you say yes sir and you attack that to the best of your ability the moment that to me that kind of starts to, the lines begin to blur too much is if the client starts modifying the plan or giving so much feedback that it, 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 the coach can't be effective because all you do is second guess right. everything that he gives you. And, you know, always kind of joke like, and I go back to football, right? Your coach never said to you, Greg, what do you think about blitzing the A-gap? <laughs> no, yeah. he called the defensive play and you blitzed the A-gap. And even if you guys were friends, meaning and he joked and played and you got text or whatever, like when he made a call, you said, yes, sir. And you executed it to the best of your ability. Um, you know, I think now in today's time, everyone wants to like get a coach plan from a coach, ask all their friends about it, ask other coaches about it. And that really pisses me the fuck off. Like if you hire me and spend money on me, like believe in what I'm doing. If you don't, we aren't going to be a good payer because if you're going to show my plan sure. to everyone and get their feedback and say, Oh, you know what? I don't think I need to eat this kind of food at this time with this new macronutrient setup. Then why are you hiring me? You just wasted your money and I'm going to fire you. Um, 
Another thing that I saw a lot in the one-on-one personal training world is especially a really weird dynamic between male trainers and female clients of where it became, you know, you start flirting and then next thing you know, you start hanging out outside of the gym. And then next thing you know, you're in some sort of sexual relationship. That's ter- <laughs> terrible for business. <laughs> you, you said next thing you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not good. Um, I, I, I've seen some really bad situations end up because yeah. people let those lines blur too, too, too much. Um, now, at the same time, am I being hypocritical because that's where I met my wife? Maybe. But that was one singular time. That wasn't 15 or 20 different girls <laughs> like I've known a right. lot of trainers to do. So that's something to be very leery of. You need to establish boundaries personally um, as the coach and, and hold them to that. There's no reason you can't joke or text message or you know send somebody a funny photo or have general normal conversations that's not applicable to your plan. Um but there needs to be a line and there needs to be a balance within that um, in order for both both parties to, to have a productive, effective relationship, in my opinion. Sure. Yeah, it, you, you need to keep it professional. Right. And um, I can't tell you the amount of girls that I've talked to that have been coached by someone or they've worked in somebody's gym and then they're going, yeah, it was OK at first. And then the guy got kind of creepy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And... And so, you know, steer clear of those kinds of things if that happens to you um, and know that that's probably not the gym owner to work for or the coach you need to be coached by. If if the guy or girl uh, starts coming at you to you know hit you up for a date or, you know, take you out and something that's, you know, doesn't seem professional. Um, now, th- that being said. There are a lot of coaches that take out groups of people and, you know, they go out, they all go out to dinner and they have a cheat meal or something like that in a social environment. And that's cool. That's totally fine. But when those lines get blurred, you need to be able to, you know, um, watch for that sort of thing. Yeah. Now, in, 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 in working with a client, uh, when we work with clients in gyms, when we work with clients, um, and create somebody that knows how to train themselves, knows how to work out, knows how to eat. We teach them how to, you know, create positive habits in eating and and eat clean and know how to, you know, if they do have cheat meals, do it in moderation and then go back to eating clean again. Um, You know, especially when I train people one-on-one, ultimately what I'm trained to do is, is not create not not have myself like a crutch for somebody where you create some some relationship where they rely on you where they only work out hard if you're pushing them i i think when people come into the gym or i work with somebody uh in a one-on-one or a small group manner um, i'm trying to create somebody who's self-sufficient and to be able to train themselves because i know people aren't going to can you know, I don't expect somebody to pay me $90 an hour forever to train them. Um, I, I want that person to be able to. And in fact, when I train somebody one or two times a week, I tell them what to go do on the other days. Sometimes they don't do it. <laughs> right. Um, a lot of times. Uh, and they'll just come and work out with you. And, and, and that'll be pretty self-evident that they're not doing the other workouts that, the, that you tell them to do. Because two times a week, you know, the body needs more two times a week training. Uh, <laughs> let's course. face it. Um, but but if if that person's only working out two times a week with you, I tell them, look, if you've got a Peloton at home or you've got a treadmill, I, I need you to do thirty minutes of low intensity steady steady state train, you know, cardio. Or I need you to do fifteen sets of Tabata intervals on the days that we don't work out. And I need you to do this hip workout. Or I need you to go train legs right. once a week. And if if you can't push a person to start doing that, I feel like we're not quite doing our job as a coach. And you're not teaching what you're trying to teach. And you, these people are becoming uh, reliant upon you to motivate them. And I, I feel that we, as a coach, you lack effectiveness if that's the case. You, you have to create independence in a codependent relationship (laughs) when it comes to this, in my opinion. Um, 
I give everyone, I call it homework. It's no different than school. You train, no matter how many times you train with me, you're going to have something to do outside the gym. Even people who train with me six days a week, I still want them, I'm, I'm not going to babysit you during cardio. That's a waste of my time if it's 30 minutes of steady state. I'm not going to stand beside a treadmill and just watch and talk to you. We're adults. That's a waste of your money and my time. So um, you're going to have something to do outside of our time together if it's in a one-on-one setting. And you know, very similar with online clients. Like I want them to be able to think on their feet. So let's say you go in the gym and the lying hamstring curl, the pads are getting replaced. Just do seated leg curls, do kneeling leg curls, do dumbbell leg curls. Yeah. Like I understand that some people like want that affirmation of me saying, Hey, like, what should I do to replace it? Okay, cool. Like, but at the same time, like, I want you to be able to know, like if the email goes like this, what do I do? Oh my God. And they're in a panic or, Hey, the lying leg curl is down at my gym right now. Like, is it cool if I do seated leg curls? A hundred percent, it's cool. <laughs> like, yeah, you just know to do that. Like, and that's education, right? You know, if you go in and your back's feeling messed up today, I don't want you to pull heavy deadlifts from the floor. Like, maybe do banded hyperextensions. Again, feel free to reach out to me. But at the same time, I want them to be able to think on their feet to where anytime, no matter what comes up. Like, let's say they wake up one morning to do cardio and their kids throwing up. Okay, cool. Just do cardio post lift. It doesn't have to be fasted. Get into the doctor. I realize that's the most important in your life right now. So there, there needs to be an independence. Like you said, they need to have homework to do. They need to be able to be strong and effective because listen, if their money runs out eventually, and I didn't do a good job of educating them on how to be successful, I failed part of my job. Did I get them short term results? Sure. Yes. But if I haven't taught that client how to work by themselves and eat by themselves, um, during that year, two years, three years, four years, five years, I've failed them in a way, in my opinion, because I've not educated them on fitness or bodybuilding or strength training for football. Like you should be able to, if, if I die tomorrow and all my long-term clients, I feel comfortable knowing that I've prepared them for their future. Um, but do I want them to move on to another coach? A hundred percent. Cause I think everyone needs a coach to push them and take them to the next level and challenge them physically and mentally. Um, but if they can't wake up tomorrow and know what to do without a plan, I feel like I've failed them. Yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, for Chris Edmonds, I'm Greg Jones. Thanks a lot for listening to another episode of Physical Culture Radio.